0: Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, June the 28th in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we like to take a look at a reading from the following Sunday, which is the sixth Sunday after Pentecost. But it's also on July the 4th, 2021. Big holiday, of course. And so... We'd want to have something in the sermon dealing with how gracious God has been uh, to this country, as well as pointing out some of the problems that we and God are working on. But we're going to be taking a look at the Holy Gospel today from Mark 6, beginning with verse 1, because it's all about Jesus. Jesus went away from there and came to his own hometown, and his disciples followed him. So on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? They were really astonished because Jesus was not doing a sermon like the other rabbis would. In other words, in another passage, they say, He speaks with authority. Now, what does that mean? It means that when Jesus was speaking, he wasn't just quoting other rabbis. That's often what a sermon was. They would quote another rabbi about a particular text and try and explain it from the rabbi's point of view. And they might even go back two or three rabbis. But Jesus was saying new things that they hadn't heard before. It's a task that I love doing when I do sermons. I've said this many a time before. The first thing I like to do is to find something in the text that appears to contradict Lutheran theology. And what I found in yesterday's sermon is that it says God does not willingly bring grief to his people. Well, if God doesn't willingly bring grief, who does bring grief? Is it the devil? And the key word to look at was that God willingly. When you look up that word in the Hebrew, what it meant was that when a person does something willingly against someone, it's out of their heart. They just do not like the person. They don't like him at all. He might be their enemy. And so they love to bring grief to him and they do it out of their heart. God never does it out of his heart because he loves his people, and out of his heart, he wants to be compassionate. And in the sermon, we brought in a concept that is rarely heard in congregations, and I don't know why, because it is an extremely important concept especially from a law and gospel point of view. God gives the law. He disciplines us. We refer to that as his alien work. Because his proper work is to preach forgiveness of sins. God even says in John 3, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And so the example I give, and I always try and give an example so the congregation can understand what we mean. I say, can you imagine parents that just love to punish their children? They love to punish them because, oh, the children are a real bother, and they get in the way of what the parents want to do. And so they, in their heart, Punish them. Can you imagine? The Supreme Court shot down a ruling that a state had against the nunnery that had adoption. And the nunnery, of course, would not allow adoption to homosexuals or pedophiles. Now, therefore, the state was taking away their right to do an adoption. Well, the Supreme Court came in and said the state doesn't have the right to do that. And that the Roman Catholic nuns can decide who gets the children on the basis of their beliefs. So they're not giving them to homosexual couples. That's obvious. But there's other reasons they wouldn't give. For example, if a couple comes in and the nuns ask them, Why do you want to adopt someone? they say, Well, right now, we don't have anybody at home we can punish, so we want to be able to punish somebody. You think the nuns are going to allow an adoption in that case? It's not that parents don't discipline their children, but that would be an alien work of a parent because they don't appreciate or like disciplining their children, but they do so to help the child see the proper way. And so there was an example where God never disciplines from his heart. It's an alien work of God. The proper work is what Jesus said, that he has come to preach repentance of sins and the forgiveness of sins. So that's how you look at a sermon in trying to find out Okay, what is there that is kind of new? Now, what's new in this sermon, a lot of people don't understand how the people could think that Jesus was speaking with authority. But once you understand how the other rabbis preached, then you can see that Jesus was telling them things that they were unaware of. Uh, for, for example... One of the things that the disciples, after three years, appeared to be unaware of was that Jesus had come to die. I mean, it was plainly put in the Bible. Psalm 22, pierced in hands and feet. Isaiah 53, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he was even whipped. In other words, When Jesus gave the account of the prophecy that he would be coming to Jerusalem to die, remember Peter's response? No, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. And Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, referring to Jesus as working with Satan Is an alien work of Jesus, but it's still necessary to wake Peter up to what he was doing. But you see, they did not know or were not aware of the death of Jesus. When they walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they thought he would overcome the Romans and put Israel back to its proper stature, and instead, On Friday, he was buried. So, that's what the point of the scripture is, to tell what Jesus says, because what he says is really amazing. Now, they're questioning, where did he get these things he's talking about? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? He would expel demons from people, he would help heal lame people, he would help also those who were wounded in the soul with the gift of the forgiveness of sins. And they asked this Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph and Judas and Simon. Now, notice they don't say, is he not the son of Joseph? Because it appears that Joseph was no longer with them, that he had died. But he had brothers, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, as well as sisters, Now, there is controversy among scholars as to whether or not these brothers and sisters were from Mary after Joseph had married her, or whether they were of Joseph's previous family if he had been married before that. But at any rate, they certainly were relatives of Jesus. And they took offense at him. Well, can you imagine, my name is Tom Baker. I stand up in the pulpit and I say, today this is going to be fulfilled in your ears. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Believe in me and you will be saved. Well, that's ridiculous. And fortunately, the four congregations I'm at right now would be laughing in the pews. They they would think I'm kidding and I've got some other point because they would say, well, isn't he from St. Louis? Isn't he married to Louise? And they would take offense if I was really trying to say that I was the Messiah. And that's exactly what happened they took offense at him. They got angry with him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own household. That's a point that if you look back at the prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, etc., they did not have honor from their own people. And therefore, they often were persecuted for what they were saying. In fact, was it not Jeremiah who was threatened with death because he said that the temple of the Lord was going to be destroyed? Wow. People wouldn't believe that. They they still didn't have a right understanding of the temple of the Lord and tried to buy their way into heaven. But when you take a look, at what they were saying. They were really saying that Jeremiah must die because he was saying things that are contrary to our understanding of God. Well, after the Babylonian captivity, nobody was contradicting Jeremiah as the temple was thrown down. Jesus also spoke of the destruction of the newly rebuilt temple by Herod. And that occurred in 70 AD. Uh, A man named Josephus, who was a historian of his day, talks about the Jewish wars. And what he refers to is many Jews were so against the Romans that they were trying to put them to death. And they would put to death other Jews who sided with the Romans. So finally, the Romans came into Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and scattered the people. This is very similar to what we're reading in Mark chapter six. But it was more than that they wouldn't listen to Jesus. Verse five, and he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, why was God, in the person of Jesus Christ, unable to do a miracle? Well, verse 6 explains it. He marveled because of their unbelief. You see, there's always a remnant of people who believed in Jesus. Remember when we read recently when the woman, if I can only touch his garment, then everything will be fine. She touched his garment and the flow of blood left her. And what does Jesus say when he talks with her? Your faith has made you whole. He also says that to Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, when he comes to Jesus and says, my daughter is near death. And by the time Jesus is finished with the woman and the issue of blood, guess what? The daughter dies. Jesus goes to the place where she's at and says, no, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. The people laugh at him. See, that's what you should expect as a Christian. When you speak the word of God, people will both be offended at what you are saying if they don't have faith, and they'll be laughing under their breath, if not fully laughing. And that's because the word of God is so contrary to what the people in the world believe. The very next verse, after Jesus marveled because of their unbelief and unable to do many miracles, he went about among the villages teaching. See, that was the purpose for Jesus to be on earth in his ministerial capacity for three years, to teach the word of God. And it made a difference. Remember the Mary and Martha incident? where Mary is busy cooking a meal and gets mad at Jesus for not telling Martha to help her. Well, later on, when Lazarus dies, Jesus meets Mary on the road and says to her, Lazarus will rise. She's thinking that Jesus is talking about the last day, the resurrection of the dead. But he's not. But at least she knows of that. How does she learn that? From listening to Jesus later on. And so, Jesus does preach and teach. And many people come to faith. In fact, that's why he's crucified. When when you get two Pharisees, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, coming to faith in Jesus, and they're part of the Sanhedrin that is the Supreme Court for the Jews, you can imagine how the other Pharisees are getting pretty angry at Jesus. But they can't take him publicly because the people think he's a prophet. So they do it behind the scenes by giving Judas money to betray him at the Garden of Gethsemane. Anyway, Jesus went among the villages teaching. He did more than that. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Now, in other words... He was doing a seminary class and he was also giving them authority to expel demons from individuals, but he charged them to take nothing for their journey except the staff. No bread, therefore they didn't have anything to eat, no bag, no money in their belts, to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Now, why would Jesus ask them to do that? Because without food, without money, they had to rely not on the people. They had to rely on God, that God was going to furnish them these items. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. In other words, let's say the house is kind of a poor house. Remember, Elijah went to a widow's home, and she only had a little oil and a little flour, and that's all they ended up eating because God did a miracle, and the oil and the flour never ran out but there's no mention about eating chickens or having a big meal of vegetables. No. Now, can you imagine Elijah says, well, there's another lady who really likes what I hear, and she's rich, and she's got a lot better food. I guess I'll go over there. No. The disciples are once they arrive at a home that welcomes them, then they are to stay there. It's kind of like a pastor. He gets called to a specific congregation, and he begins to work there. I, I just heard of a pastor who decided because he wasn't making enough money, he thought, that he got another job and it didn't have anything to do with being a pastor. Well, there's an example where he didn't stay with his church. In fact, the pastor who followed him was telling me last night on a phone conversation we had that he had been there seven years, this pastor. But when this pastor went ahead and visited his first shut-in. It was the first time in seven years that the shut-in had been visited because the pastor was too busy with his other occupation. So it's very important in the calling of a pastor that he not only has the gift of teaching, but he has also got the gift here where he's not interested in making sure he brings enough money to take care of him. Now, that is the responsibility of the congregation. The pastor needs to be taken care of fully. In other words, that he doesn't have to get another job. And that's the task of the congregation, not to make him rich but to give him sufficient gifts so that he loves to work in the congregation. And sometimes the pastor will go to see a shut-in or a delinquent who hasn't been at church for years, and they don't want to even talk to him. Verse 11, If any place will not receive you, And they will not listen to you. When you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, that's a way in that culture that that was bringing a testimony against people who were not believers to shake off the dust off your feet. So, They were sent out two by two, so there were six groups since there were 12 disciples. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Now, why are they doing that? Well, remember when Jesus, just before he began his ministry, there was someone preparing his way. It was John the baptizer. And his message was one of repentance. Why? Repentance means to be contrite over sins. And until a person recognizes that they're a sinner, they have no need of a savior. I mean, how many times do pastors approach someone mentioning the gift of the forgiveness of sins, and they'll say, well, I'm not any worse off than some of the people I know. They're a lot more of a sinner than I am. That's the opportunity for a pastor to show that they are really, in their own mind, they should be considering themselves the greatest of sinners because they know something about themselves nobody else knows, and that is their thoughts. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, even the thoughts... Are as bad as the action or the words. So it's very important that proper repentance be taught in order that you then say, The one coming after me will baptize you not only with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And those disciples went out and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. We have prayers for the ill, and at times they get better. That's not due to the pastor. It's due to God hearing the prayers and answering them. So this is a passage that helps us to understand the uniqueness of Jesus' preaching teaching, and miracles that continues to go on, even in the church today. I'm Tom Baker, and on tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we're going to take a look at the hymn, O Christ, Our True and Only Light, and we're going to talk about Jesus as Light. Until then, God bless
1: you.